Hi there, and welcome to season two of Enterprise Software Innovators, a show where top tech executives share how they innovate at scale. In each episode, enterprise CIOs share how they've applied exciting new technologies and what they've learned along the way. I'm Sam Mutamidi, a general partner at Greylock Partners. And I'm Evan Reiser, the CEO and founder of Abnormal Security. Today on the show, we're bringing you a conversation with Vish Naretra, CIO and SVP of Global Business Services at Graphic Packaging International. GPI is a fully integrated paper packaging company that services hundreds of the world's most recognized brands. As CIO, Vish is leading the company's digital transformation through factory automation and supply chain optimization, and doing so by deploying next-generation technology at scale. In this conversation, Vish shares his insights on GPI's digital transformation, what he looks for in partnerships with startups, and emerging technologies that he's most excited about. Well, Vish, thanks for making time to chat with us. Appreciate you making time. Yeah, no, excited to be here. Just to kick it off, what does graphic packaging do and what is your role as CIO helping the business operate and transform? So we're an integrated paper packaging company that uh, services the food, beverage, and consumer products industries. On top of that, you know, the things that you put in your refrigerator, your pantry, your freezer, the food, the beverage, even the the pet food that you might have in a box in uh, your closet. Those are the types of things that we package. We also have some industrial solutions. So the air filters that are used in residential HVAC units, the, the paper packaging that goes around that. So those are the types of things that we do. We're an integrated paper packaging producer. That means we run our own mills 24-7 so as CIO, I'm responsible for a lot of the, the day-to-day reporting systems, et cetera. But this is a company that's primarily grown through acquisitions, although we're starting to see some significant organic growth these days. And we all know what acquisitions means. It means a lot of complexity, a lot of different systems that we inherit. And so a big part of my job is simplifying, standardizing our processes and our tools and systems uh, so we can operate as one company. So we're Eventually, we're analyzing and predicting the future as opposed to questioning the data because it's coming from different silos of the enterprise. Vish, there's a bunch of reasons why I was excited to have you join us. You guys run a very complex business, right? Not just in terms of scale, right? And the number of people, the number of different technologies, but also the diversity, right? And kind of different roles and functions, right? Everything from very sophisticated operational technology all the way to like, you know, dashboarding and reporting. Right? So quite a wide spectrum there. The other reason was that you've been there for a while, right? I think like about seven years. Correct. And it's not just like random seven years, right? This is like probably the, one of the most interesting seven years, right, in most companies that go through this kind of digital transformation. So can you give us kind of the quick rundown, just like what that technology shift has looked like over the last seven years? And what is it meant for kind of the company to go on this like digital transformation? So I, I joined in 2015. Prior to that, the company had really just come out of a heavy debt leverage position. So first order of business really was to pay down some of that, literally that the hardware technology debt, the software technology debt that we had, but also focus on building some foundation that will allow us to scale. So that meant simplifying our infrastructure environment, putting in global platforms and solutions. You know, the way that IT runs needed to scale up first, and then we had to build a security program from scratch. So we did that in the first two to three years, and then we kind of started to shift our focus around the whole business transformation piece. 
So the word digital kind of gets thrown about a lot. I just simply think of it as the way we did business in the past is not the way we need to do business in the future. And so we're really just simplifying that and standardizing it and allowing people to operate in in ways that drive efficiency. That's been one of the most rewarding experiences in my career. Vish, I want to zoom up first and just talk about this concept of digital transformation. It's something you referenced, and it's something we talk to a number of folks like you about. I want to start very high level and just ask you how you define it and how you measure success for the overall digital transformation effort. Well, at a, at really at a 50,000-foot level, I'd say we're putting in processes and systems that will be used and run by this company 10, 15 years from now, but not in a static way that live on in an agile, flexible way that can evolve and adapt to the changing needs of the economy, the business, the industry, et cetera. You know, so we're really laying down certain digital tracks that the business can run on. And it's very different from the physical tracks that you would think of for trains. These are digital tracks that can move and evolve and adapt and and change. And so that's really what I think of as digital transformation for this company. And then, you know, that those digital tracks that we're laying down are going to create a, a data fabric. And we want to really harness that data fabric to drive decision making, you know, and that's decision making, not just based on rear view data, but really more forward focused, predictive, you know, analytics based. So that's how I define it. I'll, I'll be honest, we're on the early stages of that journey. You know, we're, we're very rich with data. You know, we now need to get rich with insights. And so that's the journey that that we're on. Most companies have an ERP and a CRM and an HRIS system, right? I guess my question for you is, what are some of the unique ways that you know GPI uses technology that might be surprising for someone that didn't work in your business? Yeah. So, you know, I'll take a couple of examples. We're leveraging wearable devices. You know, in the future, we'll do private 5G networks and and really allow people to do their jobs digitally, train digitally, AR, VR tools, so you can get that training and that simulation before you even hit the plant floor. And then when you hit the plant floor, you have a digital twin, you have videos, the YouTube fashion that you can pull up and go execute your job. You're wearing a wearable technology and you can call a friend and do a an instant collaboration with, with a, the monocle. It gives you a seven inch screen. Somebody pulls up a whiteboard, they can draw on it. You can see what it is. They can see what you're seeing on the field sitting far away. I mean, those are the kinds of things that we're putting into play that are really, really exciting. The other one I would think about is, you know, the traditional view has been, hey, let's put all these systems in and let people kind of operate in these systems. That's great. And I think that's pretty 19th century or 20th century. The real value add to the employee is, you know, not only are these systems available to you, but we're also going to make recommendations on some of the things that you might want to focus on. So we're doing that, for example, in our logistics space. We pull together data from our logistics platform and we make some recommendations around the carriers that are either meeting or not meeting their load commitments. And if they're not meeting the load commitments, we then give them give the load planner a dollar-based view of who's the most valuable to go after. Right. And and so rather than just kind of scattershot not knowing who to touch, they now have the most high value carrier that I can go after that will actually save us the most amount of money. So that's the kind of way that we're starting to think about it. Vish, if you think about, so you, if you joined seven years ago, 
what what is something you're kind of doing today that if you went back and you told kind of like you know old Vish on day one, right, or original Vish on day one, like that you probably wouldn't have believed. You're like, wow, I had no idea that it was possible for us to kind of do these type of things or rethink how to solve this business problem using new technology. Like any other kind of specific examples that come to mind? You know, we we trialed some of this during COVID. I think COVID kind of forced a lot of us to do some things that we wouldn't have otherwise done. So. In the middle of COVID, we were building one of the first new paper machines in the United States in about 45 years. And we had engineers that were stuck in Europe, could not come in. And so we were using, you know, these were not commercial and large scale usable, but we were still using kind of see what I see remote technologies to solve some of the immediate critical problems. So just to give you scale, we spent roughly $650 million as an investment to build this new paper machine in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And so the scale of that investment, we needed to keep the the, the timetable and the schedule, right? You know, you can't have a capital asset be idle or capital investments be idle because people cannot travel. So, you know, we use some of these technologies. If you told me that seven years ago, I would have probably said, ah, oh, you're crazy. That's, not, that's never going to happen. You know, this is an industry that Everything needs to be touched and felt and seen and heard and you know in the same physical space. So I think I think every company has stories like that, and ours that's that's one of many that I would think of. I want to connect that to just like the overall volatility in the world right now. You know, we just came out of the COVID nineteen pandemic. There's instability in the macro on a number of dimensions. And how do you think about that? You're making these business investment decisions over long periods of times, how do you think about how to sequence and also maintain that dynamism given how volatile the world is at, at the current moment? Yeah, actually, you know, the technology in itself is not the bigger challenge. It is that prioritization and, and adaptation for the evolving needs. That is actually truly the biggest challenge. Just to give you perspective, we run a monthly steering committee on our process and digital transformation that we're driving with the CEO and my and the rest of the CEO staff, my peers. And three years ago, four years ago, it used to be a very IT-focused conversation. Today, it is a very process-focused and, and change-focused conversation. So it, the, the tone and the tenor has completely changed. And, you know, we use that as a mechanism to a, adjust and adapt and pivot. So just yesterday, we finished one and we talked about the fact that we did a transaction as an example in Europe that was a fairly large transaction for us that closed November 1st and added about a billion one top line revenue to the, the company. And so, you know, that involves a good amount of work from an integration perspective. So all the things that we had in the hopper and in the in the pipeline and the prioritization in June of last year, we needed to adjust everything because of that acquisition, right? When you do an acquisition, you've got to get the data together. You've got to do the financial close of it. You've got to integrate it into the management reporting. We're a SOX-controlled U.S. entity there in Europe. And and so, you know, you, you have to adjust. So we use a very regular rhythm around our prioritization and have that debate and that discussion. And we decide which ones are the ones that we need to either shift left or move forward, you know, and, and make, the, make those calls. So I, I'm still, I still, I still have this thing you said, digital tracks kind of stuck in my head and there's probably more for us to talk about that, but that, that is kind of a new concept, right? If you went back to graphic packaging, this business has been around for a while and there's people that have been doing things a certain way for a long time in that time period, right? That's developed the best practices, right? And 
a lot of those are really good. But on the other hand, right, like we need to go innovate. So how do you know where to be on that spectrum, right? And how do you know where you want to innovate and when you want to kind of, you know, continue the best practice, the existing best practice? You know, change is, change is hard. And, you know, as humans, no matter who you are, you know, you're, you're for the most part a creature of habit. And so if you've developed a certain set of habits over a period of time, it takes, it takes a lot of effort to break those habits. And so, you know, understanding how we can drive that change within that organization and understanding the appetite for change is critical to the success of all the, the work that is being done. So in terms of, you know, where do we apply innovation, where we don't, you know, that's one of those things where 5, 10, 15 years ago, you know, you always look to these big, large companies that had all the answers, you know, the Oracles, the SAPs, and, you know, the companies of that like. And it's a completely different world, much like, you know, startups are disrupting everything in day-to-day life. They're also disrupting business processes and problem sets in the enterprise world. So we really keep a, a very close pulse on, on the startup ecosystem just to understand who's doing what in that space. And when we see opportunities, we really jump on them. One of the things that we saw maybe five years ago was a startup that was doing, for lack of a better term, I'd call Uber for trucking. There was no real technology play in it for us. And we just called up the VP of logistics and said, you really might want to take a look at this. And he did. And when he did, he did a pilot on the West Coast and worked really well. And we ended up expanding them and we ended up, you know, using them across the, the, the American, you know, freight landscape for us. Those are the types of things that we just kind of keep an eye on and say, where are the value adds that we can drive within the business? And if we can, that's when we strive for that innovation. Fish, you earlier talked about AR, VR as an area of investment. And one of the things Evan and I have been trying to answer on the show is on the spectrum of hype to substance, where should we think about where AR, VR is today and where it's going? The AR, VR part of it, we have a clear idea of what the use cases are. So you've got a new engineer that just joined us and comes in. How do you tell them what their job is? Or, you know, they're working on a particular segment of a piece of a machine. So if I can get, you know, you think of an Oculus Rift and, you know, you or Oculus Quest that you put on and you're, you're at the edge of the, the diving board looking down 200 feet. It's the Red Bull diving board and your knees kind of buckle because it's so far above. You know, we really want to put them in that immersive experience to be able to see the machine and the piece of equipment that they're operating in and get, give them a sense of what their job is going to be like before they even hit the floor, right? The, the VR piece of it is going to, the VR and the, the mixed reality piece of it is going to be a combination of when you're on the job and you need to pull up a digital twin, but at the same time, you need somebody remote that can connect in with you and collaborate with you and pull up a whiteboard, you know, that mixed reality, and you're actually seeing the physical object in front of you, right? And so that is a real world repair technician use case, right? So you could have a scenario where you don't have repair engineers in every site. You only have them in regional locations. You have a tech that has the right kind of wearable and the right kind of 
collaboration technologies that they can leverage. They're on the floor, may call a friend in the regional center, and they can then collaborate. And that's a real use case of that mixed reality piece. Okay, hey, let's pull up. Hey, Ethan, let's pull up that digital twin of the pump that we're working on. While you see that green wire, well, you know, here are the three wires you're going to see. You can draw them out in a color and a whiteboard. And then you, this is what you need. You need to do a turning action to pull that out. You know, you can actually demonstrate that and the person sees it and then they actually do the work. Now you've taken away travel 80% of the time. There are going to be times when people actually do have to travel and get there physically, but you've taken away some of that and, you know, you've done it in a more time efficient manner, right? You don't have to wait 24 hours before the, the engineer shows up to, to troubleshoot or, you know, diagnose what the issue is. So those are the types of real world scenarios in which we apply AR, VR, you know, MR type of stuff. There's that, that's an awesome opportunity where you've kind of seen this technology, identified a very clear business case and business reason and business problem, and then found kind of a good intersection, right? And that really is a great example of digital transformation. Yeah, our, our CEO is super excited by um, a concept we call a control room. So every high-speed press, high-speed cutter, high-speed gluer that we have, we're sensor enabling them. And we want to be able to see the production performance on each of the pieces of equipment. And then, you know, layer in some of these AR, VR, remote assist type of technologies into the mix. And we can have groups of people in Chicago or Atlanta or, you know, regional centers that, you know, we have plants in Mitchell, South Dakota and, you know, places that it, it will take you a day to get there. Right. And if we can solve that in an hour or even better, now that we've sensor enabled all of them, we're getting data from these assets and we can do predictions on probability of machine or part failure. Then I can immediately call up and do a remote assist and tell them this part is most likely going to fail in the next 12 hours. Let's take an outage on that machine and let's go change that part out so it's not catastrophic and and allows me to do it in a planned manner that I can actually move some of the work to another work center. Those are the types of things that we are contemplating in, in, in our you know, future. I think it's such a good example because when people commonly think about digital transformation or automation, they're often thinking in the world of bits. And I think it's important to, to share examples. It's not just the world of bits, but it's really bits and atoms. And, and I think the, the example you just shared is such a powerful one around the impact technology can have. How do you evaluate startup companies? And what do you view as the key dimensions to consider when you're deciding whether or not to partner with a company? I think it goes back to what problem are we trying to solve? And is that a good fit to that problem? Number one. Number two is, can this company scale to, to take on the effort? And, you know, in the, in the traditional old world, it was, it was, hey, size of company mattered and the number of employees mattered etc. But these days, you know, the cloud and, and the way that companies can scale and, and drive solutions has just completely changed. So those things are not as critical as, you know, who are the people providing the solution? Do they have they thought about this? Can they support us and what we're looking to do? And we typically start off with a POC and, and test, out, test the waters. And when we do, and if we set certain, you know, success criteria, and if, if they meet it, then, you know, it gives us, you know, uh, comfort that we can green light it for a broader, a larger scale rollout. So 
you know, I'm very connected into the CIO network here locally and then, you know, other parts of the country. So if other people have used it and they've had good experiences, then it just is sort of icing on the cake. So that's how I kind of think about it. Vish, I think one of the things Evan and I both really admire about you is you've been at the forefront of partnering with new technology companies very early. You also are really well networked in the CIO community. And as you alluded to, there's a lot of shared learning that happens there. For IT and technology leaders who are listening to this podcast who may be less plugged in and earlier in their journey around working with startups, what recommendations would you have for them? Find progressive CIOs that are active in the space. See if there's ways that you can get connected to them. See if there's ways that they will share their their knowledge and their time. You know, I, I make it a point to pay it forward. I didn't get here all by myself. There were a lot of people that helped me get here. And so I try to pay it forward. You know, that doesn't mean, you know, 200 LinkedIn requests all at once that I can can respond to, but you know, certainly you gotta you gotta stay connected. The other ways that you can do is you can do some some piloting on your own in in the spaces you're working in and see how those things play out. And at the end of the day, you've got to be super uh, focused on being an everyday learner, right? And if you don't do that, if you're not curious, you you're not asking questions or looking to understand. Even as we were getting ready to do this podcast, I was trying to figure out, oh, how does that work? You know, we're recording this. It's three different streams. How does it come together? You know, you've got to really just, you know, always be asking those questions, trying to figure out how things work, how things happen. You know, just don't skim the surface. One of the reasons people might re- might reach out to you is because, you know, similar to what Sam said, you've been at the forefront of kind of innovating with startups. And a lot of the CIOs that I know are really struggling. I think everyone embraces the mindset that they need to digitally transform. They know they need to move in that direction, but there's you know challenges and, and risks. And so what are some of the things that, with the wisdom of hindsight, are disproportionately more important than you maybe originally thought 10 years ago? One thing that kind of stands out for me is be very clear about the business problem you're trying to solve. We don't introduce technology for the sake of technology. There's no shiny objects that we chase because that really adds no value. And so at the end of the day, we're all here to add value to our stakeholders, our employees, our investors, our shareholders, and our customers. So, you know, we we really look for real business problems that we are trying to solve. And, and once we have that identified, we only look at the companies that are solving those business problems. So that, that really quickly narrows it down to a manageable number of uh, companies. And then, you know, some of the things I talked about, depending on the stage that they're in, you know, we'll do a POC, you know, well, you know, lessons learned, we we now have very strong gating criteria. We actually took a pretty bad hit with one of the startups that we did some work with, and we ended up in arbitration, and it, it turned pretty ugly and didn't quite go as well as we planned. So now we have very strong great gating criteria on what are measures of success? You know who's responsible for what, and uh, making sure that the uh, the lines of uh, responsibility are very very clear. So those are some of the lessons learned. Fish, maybe we'll sequence into the lightning round, and we just have a few quick questions and your quick answers. So the first is, how do you think companies should measure the success of a CIO? There are three things that I think about. One is, can this person drive change effectively to create value? Can they do it? 
in a manner that doesn't cost me a fortune? And can they build a team that will be here for the long haul? What's the common mistake you see new CIOs making? Putting in technology for the sake of technology. If you're a technologist and that's what you kind of focus on, then you're you're missing the point. You really have to solve business problems. Trying to do too much in in in, in one shot. That's that's another mistake. And really thinking about building for the long haul. Right. Yeah. It's these things don't happen overnight. Some things you can solve for immediately, no doubt. But really, you should have a vision and kind of march towards that and and not do some haphazard things along the way just because you're trying to gain some some points, you know, from the corner office. Fish, is there a recent book you've read that you really enjoyed? And if so, what book was it and why? So the last book that I read was by Arthur Blank called Good Company. Really enjoyed it. This is one of the co-founders of Home Depot and just an enjoyable book, you know, incredible lessons as a human, as a business leader, as a culture agent and a, and a community builder, you know, the things that he's done. So really, you know, great read. And Vish, maybe just as a final question, what's a newer emerging technology you're most excited about? There's not one, but let me give you a couple. I think 5G gets a lot of press, and I think everybody thinks of 5G in the context of the uh, providers. You know, I'm starting to learn a little bit more about capabilities we can build within our four walls with private 5G networks. So that's really exciting that in industrial heavy machinery environments where Wi-Fi, you cannot saturate the environment with Wi-Fi. Can I build private 5G networks? And when I do, it'll enable some of the transformation that I talked about with wearables and digital twins and things like that. The other thing is your camera technology coupled with AI. I think that piece is just going to be incredible. The use cases are are through the roof, you know, health and safety. So, you know, can, I can train models on what is what is safe and what is unsafe, and I can alert people when when, you know, the cameras can see things that the humans don't notice. So if there's if there's things that you stack up vertically and usually they're all stacked up exactly right, but there's one piece that's jutting out, you know, humans don't always notice that, but somebody walking by could hit it or driving a forklift could hit it, but a camera can can detect that and alert you so that that type of use cases and uh you know you couple that with 5g you know you've got some pretty significant quality issues that you can detect you know product feature capabilities that you can detect etc so those are two areas that i'm excited about where i just ran across a couple of startups that are doing some work in that space we're going to initiate some conversations with them what else there's always the fun part of cybersecurity. There's always something going on there. So we're always looking at that. So those are some of the things that I look at. Vish, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us. Great to see you again and hopefully get a chance to talk again soon. Thank you, Vish. Yeah, likewise. I enjoyed it. It was just fun. That was Vish Narendra, CIO and SVP of Global Business Services at Graphic Packaging International. Thanks for listening to the Enterprise Software Innovators Podcast. I'm Evan Reiser, the founder and CEO of Abnormal Security. And I'm Sam Tamadi a general partner at Greylock Partners. Please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find more great stories and lessons from technology leaders and other enterprise software experts at enterprisesoftware.blog. This show is produced by Luke Reiser and Josh Meir. See you next time.